All right, it's 9.31, so I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Um, this morning, we're just going to be continuing our study uh, in Romans, um, kind of finishing up uh, chapter 6, just sort of the last uh, half of chapter 6. So uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and uh, open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we gather this morning uh, to worship your name, Lord, to uh, hear uh, the preaching of your word, Lord, to uh, receive the means of grace. Lord, we pray this morning that you would be faithful uh, in your promises to sanctify your church, to bless your church. Lord, I pray this morning as we look over Romans 6, uh, Lord, that you would be gracious to us, Lord, open our eyes to the beauty of your gospel this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so just a quick review. Um, if you remember, Paul in Romans 6 is discussing uh, our death to sin's reign, right? We saw that we are dead to the reign or power of sin in Christ. This is kind of his thesis in Romans chapter 6. We also saw that it flows from justification, uh, that it's rooted in our union with Christ, our federal head. So that this is a, a transfer uh, from our union with Adam to our union with Christ. And it's rooted in that transfer. Uh, and then we noted that it is through faith and symbolized in our baptism that we have died with Christ to sin. We also noted that we have been raised with him to new life. So it's not just that we've died to the reign and power of sin, but we've also been raised to new life. So there's kind of two sides of that same coin there. Uh, last time, I think it was two weeks ago, we concluded with a very important verse, uh, Romans 6.14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. Right? This is Paul's concluding point. Present yourselves to God, not to sin. Why? Well, because you're not under, the law, under law but under grace. Uh, what Paul means here is that we are no longer under the law as a covenant of works, right? We saw that this is a motivation for following Christ in obedience, right? The gospel is what motivates us for obedience, not the law. This is important because what we're addressing this morning is an objection to this statement, that we are under the law but under grace. It's, it's uh, an objection to this statement and kind of an abuse of this statement, so the big questions today are, since we're not under the law as a covenant of works, can we not just break the law, right, and refuse to obey it as a guide? If the law no longer condemns us as a covenant, should we sin all we want? This is the objection that's brought up in verse 15 this morning. And Paul answers this, and it's kind of our thesis this morning. He says, basically, no, right, because by God's grace... We who were once slaves to sin have now, been sla have now been made slaves of God. And that's by God's grace, right? And our slavery to God does not lead to sin and death or an abuse of God's grace or the gospel, but to righteousness and life in Christ. So, Romans six fifteen through 19. Anybody want to read that for us? Anybody? Anybody? Oscar. Slaves are the one who you obey, either a sin which leads to death, or the obedience. 
Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient in the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural motivation. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to the same. Awesome. Thank you, Oscar. All right, verse 15. What then, right? Since we're not under the, the law, but under grace, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Paul answers, by no means. This is the objection to the law by the antinomian, what, what, uh, a term that theologians use, uh, antinomian. Does anybody know what antinomian is? Does anybody know what that means? Anti-law. Yep, anti-law, right? That's the word, that's what it means, anti uh, nomos or law, anti-law. So what it's asking there, that question, to rephrase it sort of, since we're not under the law as a covenant of works, but are under the covenant of grace, does obedience matter? Right? Do we have to obey the law of God? This uh, question can be phrased in two ways. It has been phrased in two ways throughout church history. Uh, the first is not as popular. You don't really see this a lot throughout church history. Even today, it's pretty rare. Uh, and I've bolded should there to kind of emphasize what we're getting at. Uh, if our keeping of the law doesn't justify us before God, should we just disobey it? Uh, it's pretty rare to find, right? The should there, an intent there. But what you do often find in uh, church history is it, can we obey it, right? If Christ has been judged on our behalf for our sin and God has forgiven our sins, Right? So if keeping the law doesn't justify us before God, can we just abuse that grace and do what we want? This is an important question. It's one that's being asked today, uh, even by people in the Reformed community. Um, it's a question that's been asked for hundreds of years throughout the church. Paul answers no to both, right? By no means. Ultimately, he answers no to the second one, right? But if we can't disobey God's law, then the should is off the table, Right? Like, if it's impossible to disobey God, the should is just immediately off the table. And ultimately, the point that he's making here uh, is that there are really just two types of people. Right? There are those who are slaves to God and those who are slaves to sin. There's no neutrality there. So, verse 16, uh, before he gets to really answering sort of the, the question in verse 15, he lays down something a bit deeper. Right? He's going to go kind of behind that question. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? The question in, in verse 15 is, is about obedience, right? Can we disobey all we want? Now, Paul's going to answer that, right? He's going to answer that, that we, we can't because by God's grace, we're slaves to God. But first, he gets deeper. What does it mean to sin? What does it mean to, to be obedient, to abuse God's law? What is the gospel promise of being a slave to obedience? That's what he's addressing here. Uh, in fact, um, this is the objection to the gospel by the antinomians. Right? Antinomians, they're anti-law. They say we should just, or we can just, you know, disobey God's law we want. 
but what Paul's getting at here is the gospel has promised something beyond that. It's promised us that we can't, right? That's a gospel promise, that we've been made new, that we're, we're a new creation. And so we can't disobey God's law all we want, right? We can't abuse God's grace. And so Paul is actually saying, you're not just rejecting the law here. You're not just anti-law, you're anti-gospel. You're missing the other side of the gospel, not just justification, but sanctification as a gift of God. Quick side note, uh, antinomians are almost always obsessed with the law, sin, and man's works, not the gospel, right? Um, it's kind of a little turn that they do. Uh, you think that they're these gospel people, they're all about the gospel, but really they're just all really about the law. How far can we go? Where's the line that we can draw? Those sorts of things. And this is what I've already mentioned Paul's getting at. There are only two types of people, right? Those who obey sin and live in slavery to sin, which leads to death, and those who obey God and live in slavery to obedience, which leads to righteousness, right? There's no neutrality. There's no such thing as a Christian who openly, continually abuses God's grace. There's no such thing as a slave uh, to God who can just uh, disabuse God's grace and live in sin, right? It's, It's an impossibility, and that's what he's getting at here. J.B. Fesco says, A person is a servant either of sin or of Christ, either dead in his trespasses or a part of the new creation raised to walk in the newness of life. This objection in verse 15, right, can we just abuse God's grace all we want, undermines the new creation gospel Paul has preached throughout Romans 6. Throughout Romans 6, Paul has told them that and us that we are a new creation, Right? That we have been trans- transferred from the old covenant to a new, right? To, to an old way of obedience, to a new way of obedience. To death, from death, to life. And so he's kind of just like, what do you mean can we abuse God's grace? What do you mean can we just disobey all we want? Of course you can't. You're a new creation. That's what I've been talking about all chapter, all, the whole chapter of uh, Romans 6. But, although there are these two people, right, those who are slaves to God and those who are slaves to sin, verses 17 through 18, Paul says, But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. There's four things I kind of want to note here. Um, this is sort of like the middle, sort of the, the climax of his argument here. Number one, a change has taken place, right? Of course you can't abuse God's grace and live in sin and continue in sin. A change has taken place. He says, you were slaves, right, to sin, but now you are slaves to righteousness. You're slaves to God. This, is, uh, this change is generally termed regeneration, Right, Burkhoff, a famous Reformed theologian, uh, says regeneration consists in the implanting of the principle of the new spiritual life in man in a radical change of the governing disposition of the soul, which under the influence of the Holy Spirit gives birth to a life that moves in a Godward direction. Before, when you were slaves to sin, you were inclined towards sin, right? You were... You were disposed towards sin. But now, 
that you are slaves of God, you are inclined towards holiness, right? You're inclined towards good works. Now, this is uh, usually hard to measure, right? And oftentimes, it's hard for us to tell um, of that inclination within ourselves. Um, This is something that takes years to look back on and sort of see that progress, right? See that growth, see that change. Uh, Some of us, depending on the life you led uh, before coming to Christ, you can see sort of that change. But most of us, it is a, a, a longer time span to look back on and see this change. Secondly, this change is God's doing, right? He says, but thanks be to God, right? Uh, our confession, uh, the 1689, uh, chapter 10, paragraph 1, uh, such a good paragraph. Um, you're going to see a lot of language in here of like change and, and what we've been talking about. Um, but he says, uh, the confession says, those whom God hath predestined unto life, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time, effectually to call by his word and spirit, which we'll get to, out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds, right? So who's the actor here? Still God, right? God enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as, the, uh, yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace. It's an amazing paragraph, right? God is the one who change it, renews our wills. He's the one that determines us towards that which is good. He's the one that enlightens our minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. Oh, how do I fix this? It says unable to connect. Get a new iPad. Get a new iPad. This is Kim's iPad. Let me try closing it out. Hold on. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll reboot the, uh, the TV. You just keep going. Okay. Um, so just keep in mind that it is God who does this, right? God is the one that brings about this change. Thirdly, uh, this change comes by the gospel, right? It comes through faith in Christ. Uh, Paul says, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin. Uh, You've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Uh, This language is found throughout Romans, um, especially Romans chapter 1 and in uh, chapter 16 as well. Uh, This obedience from the heart to the standard of teaching. The standard of teaching being the gospel, right? And obedience from the heart being the, the obedience of faith that Paul speaks of in Romans. So what he's talking about here is, is that this change actually comes through faith in the gospel. John six sixty three, uh, Christ uh, says, uh, it is the spirit who gives life, right? He says, the flesh is no help at all. And he says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. 
Michael Horton commenting on this verse. He said, Regeneration is the Spirit's sovereign work of raising those who are spiritually dead to life in Christ through the announcement of the gospel. We cannot separate this change that takes place from the work of God in the preached word, right? In the context of the local church. Still not connecting. It's fun. Um, fourthly, finally, uh, this change is one from the reign of sin to the reign of righteousness. Right? He says you were slaves to sin and you are now slaves of righteousness. You are a new creation. Right? That's what we're talking about here. You're a new creation. That's why you can't live in sin. Right? That's, we're not saying that you, you, you can't sin, right? Or that Christian perfectionism is possible or anything like that. What Paul's addressing here is can you abuse God's grace and live in sin? Continue in sin unrepentantly? His answer is no, right? You're a new creation. Come on. Restart PowerPoint. Okay, great. Don't worry about it. Keep going. Okay. Let me get back to where I was. Okay, so, therefore, in verse 19, Paul says, live as slaves of righteousness. Right? He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Because you are now slaves of righteousness and now no longer slaves of sin, present your bodies as slaves of righteousness. Right? This is a pattern that Paul has, has already sort of repeated in Romans 6. Right? Sin, therefore, he says, you know, sin no longer reigns over you. Therefore, don't let it rain over you. Right? He's kind of repeating this pattern. Uh, he does say here that he's speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Uh, he's just basically saying that this, limit, this, this uh, metaphor of slavery is sort of not a one-to-one. Right? It kind of breaks down. Uh, our slavery to Christ is not the same as uh, slavery in that time or ours. Right? There's, a, there's a disconnect between the two that break down. We, we, our slavery to Christ is not one of guilt, um, one of coercion through treachery and things like that. Be who you are, right? What a great exhortation. Uh, it's one of my favorites that Paul uses often of just be who you are. This is who God has made you by his grace, right? He has made you alive in him, no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to God. Now, 
be who you are. So any questions so far? I know I just covered a ton of information. Any questions? The dreaded question mark. Okay, cool. So Romans 6, 20 through 23. Anybody want to read that besides Oscar? Anybody? Go ahead, Kim. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hmm. So good. So a quick brief outline of where we're at uh, right now. So verses 15 through 18 was like the truth stated, right? You can't abuse God's grace and live in sin because you are no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness, right? A change has taken place. Verse 19 was the application of that truth. Therefore, live as slaves of righteousness, And now verses 20 through 23 is sort of the motivation for that application. Why should we live as slaves of righteousness? Okay, I understand that this change has taken place, but why should I strive to live as a slave of righteousness and not of sin? And ultimately the motivation given is that you are already, you already have the free gift of God, which is sanctification and eternal life in Christ, right? This is not live as a slave of, of righteousness to earn sanctification, to gain what you already don't have. Rather, this is live as a slave to righteousness from what you have, right? Because you already have this. Verse 20 through 21. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, he says. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Gonna, he's going to contrast this uh, slavery to sin with slavery to righteousness uh, in verse uh, 22. Um, so we're just going to kind of like look at four quick things, and then we'll look at those opposing things uh, in the slavery to righteousness. So the first thing is you're free in regards to righteousness, he says. Right? So earlier in Romans, he has already told us in Romans 1 that a fallen man, uh, those who are enslaved to sin, they know good from evil, right? But what he's saying here is they were incapable. You were incapable of turning from that evil to God, right? it's, It's interesting. The only freedom that a slave to sin has is freedom from the power to turn to God. Now, you lived a life of shame, right? What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? And the fruit you got from that life was more sin, right? Sin breeds sin. Sin leads to sin. And finally, the end of that life was death. Present death and future death. There is absolute death in that life. Slavery to sin does not lead to life. It is not a life to be lived. It is death, and it leads to eternal death. 
So this is sort of presenting a motivation for a present life of godliness. And that motivation is remembering our former life in sin. Remember, it's freedom from righteousness, right? It was a hopeless life. There's no hope in that life. There's no hope in a life of sin at all. Remember, it's shameful ways. It's a life of regret. Remember, it's fruit of sin upon sin. It's a life of despair. And fourthly, remember, it's end in death. It's no life at all. It's no life to live at all. The point here is why would you return to such a life by sinning? Right? Like, why would you? And that's what Paul is kind of getting at here is okay, well, now that you've been set free from the slavery to sin, why would you present your members to sin as slaves of sin? You've been set free from that. And that life was no life at all. That was a life of regret and despair and shame. Why would you return to that by sinning? Martin Luther, uh, he says, As long as passion burns like glowing fire, it appears as though it were something good and were bearing good fruit, namely satisfaction and delight. But when sin is finished, it appears to him who becomes conscious of what he did and repents as most detestable. That's, uh, man, that's just so relatable. Um, you know, in the midst of temptation, um, to remember the detestable shame of a life apart from Christ in the midst of temptation, and to view sinning as returning, in a sense, to that life. To not, not returning salvifically, but living as if you were still in that life in the midst of temptation. That should drive us further from giving into that temptation. To remember its detestable shame. That's what Paul's getting at here. But now, in verse 22, he contrasts this slavery to sin. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end, eternal life. Now that you are set free from sin... You're slaves of God, right? You were, you were slaves of sin under its reign, under its power, doing its bidding, unable to turn to God, unable to turn to good. You're incapable of those things. And now you are slaves of God, inclined to good, inclined to holiness. You live now as free from sin. You live a life of service to God. You were living a life of shame. Now, again, we're not talking about Christian perfectionism here. Right? We're not saying that a Christian lives a perfect life of service to God at all. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. You were bearing fruit of sin that led to more sin. And now, your new life in Christ is one of sanctification. Right? That's the, the growth in holiness, right? a progress of, of growth in holiness. Finally, the end of that sanctification is eternal life. You are dead in your trespasses and heading to eternal separation from God. And yet now, as slaves of God, you have eternal life. This is the second motivation for a present life of godliness 
reminding ourselves that we are free from the slavery of sin. I say this all the time. Uh, Obedience is not only possible, it is promised. Uh, You are free from the power of sin. We are slaves to God. Uh, It's not often talked about uh, in the church, this freedom from the power of sin. We don't want people to believe that they can be perfect. We don't want people to feel like if they're sinning, and this is true, uh, if, you're, if you're sinning, oh, you're, you're, you're outside of Christ, right? We don't want people to think that, and, and that's good. We, we shouldn't be thinking those things. But that doesn't mean we shy away from this truth of regeneration, which is what antinomians generally do. We're free from its guilt. We are sons and daughters of God. No longer living a life of shame, no longer guilty, we can approach God when... We sin. We can approach God in prayer. We don't need to hide from Him as if ashamed. Three, from its fruit, free from its fruit, uh, we are sanctified by God. Rather than bearing sin, you are being sanctified. Right? We've already seen that. Yep. What is the fruit of sin? Uh, the fruit so we'll get to that we'll get to that there's another thing that i haven't addressed uh there's two things that i haven't addressed which is the fruit of sin and uh what does paul mean when he says things like obedience uh the fruit of obedience is righteousness right or eternal life Uh, it kind of poses this question of like okay well um does that mean that obedience leads to righteousness and salvation um so we're going to address that um great question Finally, free from its end, we now have eternal life with God. Throughout Paul's letters, eternal life is a present, and even in Romans 8, uh, he'll make the case that eternal life is a present blessing. Right? This is not just a future hope that we have, something we look forward to, but it's rather something we possess now in Christ. So any questions besides Kim's questions, which will be addressed shortly? Again, I know... We're covering a ton of stuff this morning. Anything? Anybody? No? Okay. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death is the result of sin. Death is the ultimate fruit of sin. As fruit continues to bear, as sin continues to bear more sin and produce more sin, ultimately the result of which is death. And this has been the case since Adam, right? Paul made this case in Romans 5, 12 through 21, right? From the days of Adam, death has reigned, right? Eternal life, though, is the gift of God. Notice it's a, it's a free gift, right? We've already talked about regeneration being the, the free gift of God, right? Not of man, but also the fruit of regeneration, right? The end of regeneration, the end of sanctification, the eternal life that we have promised in Christ is the free gift of God. It's already given. It's not something that we must earn or merit. It's something that is freely given to us apart from our works, It is from God. 
Contrary to what we might think in the, mo- in the midst of temptation, sin does not offer life. It only offers shame, despair, and death. Only God gives life. I know that's kind of an extreme way of looking at, at temptation and what sin offers us, but that's ultimately what we're tempted with. right? We have life in Christ, and yet sin tempts us with a different life, a, a temporary life, a temporary life of joy, of satisfaction, these sorts of things that are empty and no life at all. Sin does not bring life. God brings life. And uh, it's in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think it's interesting, right, given that we're talking about uh, slavery to God and, and slavery of sin, that, Christ in, uh, that Paul ends here with Christ Jesus our Lord. The Baptist Catechism, question 29, speaks of Christ's kingship, how he executes the office of a king over us, right, his church. Christ executed the office of a king in subduing us to himself. That's sanctification, right? In ruling and defending us and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. All his and our enemies. Satan, sin, and death are restrained and conquered by Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are sanctified you overcome temptation by Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, something I've been kind of avoiding, setting aside, um, we're here now. Uh, does obedience make us holy? Right? This is uh, the other side of the coin of obedience doesn't matter. Right? Like, that's the question that's being posed today. Does obedience matter? Uh, Well, the other side of that is, does obedience make us holy? There's been some phrases that Paul has used here throughout these verses, right? Like uh, in blue there, obedience, which leads to righteousness in verse 16. Obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse 19, righteousness leading to sanctification. What's going on here? You know, a lot of people read this and believe that obedience is, is what sanctifies us. Obedience is what saves us, right? Because the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. But isn't that slavery to righteousness? Isn't that what sanctification is? Obedience leads to righteousness, which leads to sanctification, which leads to eternal life in Christ Jesus. Therefore, obedience is what saves us. But what I want you to note here is like in verse 16, It is slavery to sin that leads to death, right? It's the slavery to obedience which leads to righteousness. It's not obedience that leads to righteousness, but slavery to obedience which leads to righteousness. Verse 19, it's the slavery to lawlessness which leads to lawlessness. It's the slavery to righteousness which leads to sanctification. Ultimately, in verses 22 and 23, this is explained, expanded on. Uh, We are slaves of God, and the fruit we get from that slavery leads to sanctification, and it's in eternal life, right? This slavery to God, this being made, uh, in uh, in this verse, it's actually passive. It's being enslaved to God, right? We're acted upon, 
That is the free gift of God. Right? God enslaves us to himself, and that is what leads to sanctification and eternal life. That's what leads to eternal life in Christ Jesus. Not our obedience, right? not our righteousness, but rather the free gift of God, which enslaves us to obedience, to righteousness, to eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Obedience doesn't make us holy. Right? God alone sanctifies us. Uh, our, our confession says that sanctification is the work of God's free grace. God alone makes us holy. But He does use our good works of obedience as part of the means for doing so. Any questions on that? So, you know, I couldn't end without quoting Voss. Uh, this is Gerhardus Voss. He's a theologian. He's a, he was a theologian at Princeton Theological Seminary. He says this, uh, Sanctification is a work of God in us. Good works are acts of ourselves for God. So does obedience matter? Yes. Because your obedience, your good works, are service to God and your neighbor, right? They're service to your neighbor, Right? They build your neighbor up, they feed your neighbor, whatever it may be, and they are for God. So of course obedience matters. Of course you shouldn't live in sin all you want or disobey God's law all you want. In fact, by confusing these two, sanctification and obedience or good works, one makes sanctification into something pietistic that man must now perform by himself. He says, sanctification in the final analysis is the work of God. However, as actual sinning makes inherited pollution greater and increases inner corruption, so too the contrary is the case with good works and sanctification. Good works are a means that God uses to sanctify us. This kind of brings us all the way back to that initial question, does obedience matter? Yes, Yeah, absolutely. So uh, good works uh, are the fruit and response to justification, right? Good works play no part in justification at all, right? We are justified by faith alone, okay? Good works are not a means that God uses to justify us, whether now or someday in the future, Right? As if like we get to heaven and he looks over our life and says, well, you've been, you've been pretty decent. Uh, you're justified now before my sight. Right? Justification from beginning to end is by faith alone. Good works play no part in justification. And we should see good works as merely a means that God uses, amongst other means, to sanctify us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when we talk about sanctification, where we are actually transformed into uh, the likeness of God, the image of Christ, yeah. the obedience and growth and, uh, of, a, of a Christian, of the Christian law, God does use. So you're saying it's also based upon faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But God uses good works in our sanctification in a way that He doesn't with our justification. 
Yeah, absolutely. And even here, uh, I like what you said there regarding faith. Uh, all of this is grounded on faith when it comes to different means of sanctification. They're all grounded in faith, right? Like we're always, we always need to come back to that, right? The primary means of sanctification, faith, right? That's the preached word, right? Sunday morning, that's communion, that's baptism. That's the means of grace there present. We have faith um, as those means of grace are received. We receive them by faith. Good point. Anybody else want to drill me on justification? Just kidding. Conclusion. Okay. If the law no longer condemns us as a covenant of works, can we sin all we want? Does obedience matter? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why? By God's grace, we who were once slaves to sin have now been made slaves of God. And our slavery to God does not lead to sin and death, but to righteousness and life in Christ. Far from opening the door to licentious living, right, to abuses of God's grace, this truth is what motivates us to pursue obedience, knowing that our obedience does not dictate our freedom from sin, that we're already free from sin. We don't have to work to gain that. We don't have to work to gain our justification, right? This is a, a promise. And this, this doctrine has been used throughout the church to beat people over the head, right, to make you feel guilty that you're not sanctified enough, that you're not doing enough. Right? But this is a promise of the gospel. You've been set free from sin, from the power and reign of sin. It doesn't rule over you anymore. That's a promise of God to you. Any final questions? Yeah, I just have a couple of things. Yeah. And I just wanted to, to note in the reform Ordo Salutis that regeneration must precede. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. Uh, yes, regeneration must precede um, faith. What I meant by that was that uh, that regeneration comes through the preaching of the word, right? Through the means of grace. Uh, that's, I'm so glad you brought that up. I did not mean at all that regeneration uh, follows faith. Um, rather, that regeneration precedes faith, but it takes place normatively in the context of the local church, right, through the preached word. And, and the other thing is, that this seems to really set up an interpretive challenge in the next chapter when Paul is talking about the fact that he's, he's a slave to sin and he has no ability to obey. Yeah, um, so you're talking about the latter half of Romans 7. Right. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've studied that half of Romans 7. Uh, Pastor Nathan's going to be touching on that. Uh, touching on that what? Next week? Uh, two weeks from now? Uh, probably in two weeks, but I, I did not hear the question. What's the question? So the question is, is does the freedom from sin, the change that has taken place, 
uh, does that cause an interpretive issue with the latter half of Romans 7 where Paul is speaking of being, uh, you know, like for instance, uh, uh, verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Right. He wouldn't say that. Right. He wouldn't have to say that because he'd be like, oh, well, you're dead to sin. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but he, he acknowledges that there is still in our flesh that, that pull to sin that still yep. entices us, it still influences us, yep. it still pulls us, yep. and, and it requires our effort by the grace of God to, to avoid it, to, to flee from it. Right. I don't know if that answers the question, but. We'll get into the details of chapter 7 in two weeks. Yeah, gotcha. Anything else? Anybody? Cool. All right, well, let's just co- uh, go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you, um, Lord, for your grace uh, and your goodness, Lord, your, your covenant faithfulness, uh, Lord, towards us, not only to uh, make us new, to bring us into the new creation Lord, but to keep us there in that new creation, to sanctify us, Lord, to bring us home and preserve us, uh, Lord, to heaven and the new creation. Lord, we pray uh, this morning uh, as we worship, as we gather, um, Lord, that you would set these truths on our minds and our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Coolio.